0: Well, good morning and merry day after Christmas. It's good to see you all. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. You know, in John chapter 16, in verse 33, Jesus said something profound, and and I think it's something that's going to... It really summarizes what we're going to talk about and think about together today, though we're going to flesh it out a little bit more. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples, not long before he would go to the cross and be raised. Jesus said this, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace, but in this world you will have tribulations, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Today I want to show you from the Bible in 1 Peter chapter 5. Four specific helps for Christians. That will help us turn our tribulations into triumphs. Four specific maybe practices or tools or helps. That I believe the Lord has given us. To turn our tribulations into triumphs triumphs that's what Jesus said he said in this world listen you will have tribulations he says to his disciples but I want you to have peace I'm going to do some things I'm going to give you some things I'm going to teach you some things I'm going to empower you to have peace in the midst of tribulations listen Jesus said I've overcome the world and and if you're in me you have overcome but you will face very difficult things So 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 9 is where I want to take these four things from. And of course, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, one that Jesus had mentored and taught him many things. And listen, Peter learned a lot of the things he learned through difficulties, through failures, through hard things. And so Peter, I think, really fleshes out for us some of what Jesus taught him about turning tribulations into triumphs. So I want to walk through these things together with you in this passage, and we'll read a little bit at a time and just talk about some of these things. I feel a little bit uh, unprepared. I only have a page and a half of notes. That's just not like me, you know. This is like bare bones. It's almost like scrawling it on a napkin. So I'm going to wing some of this, so bear with me. This has been a little bit of a last minute, trying to feel what the Lord wants to speak to my heart number one, but also to his people today. So let's read verses one through five, the first part of five. As we see this first thing that we need, the first help for turning tribulations to triumph, and that is the church's shepherding, the church's shepherding. All right, so one through five. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Let's stop right there. You know, you've heard the old adage, anytime the Bible has the word therefore, you should stop and see what it's there for. Therefore is a connecting word and it points us back to what came before. And so everything that Peter's about to say is looking back at what he says specifically in chapter 4. And what he writes in First Peter chapter 4 is that it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved. That's what he says in verse 18. Verse 19. Those who suffer according to the will of God should entrust their soul to a faithful creator. So he's been talking about the fact that Christians and righteous people will indeed in this life have hard things and will suffer. That's what Jesus told the disciples. You will have tribulations. But he says, therefore, in light of those things, there's some things that I've given you, some things that you need. And he goes into this passage about the elders and the church. All right, And so the first thing I would say is that we need, as God's people, is we need the churches shepherding. Now the first few verses there I think primarily are aimed at the pastors or elders. And he's saying, in the church I've called out and called and given a responsibility to some men who are the elders or overseers or pastors of the church. And and I want you to shepherd God's people. And it's not going to be an easy thing. Because God's people face hard things. And so in shepherding and guiding and teaching and and coming alongside and comforting, you know what you're going to do as a pastor? You're going to get in the middle of hard things. And it can be messy. Life is messy, even for Christians. And so there's an encouragement here for the pastors, for the elders, he calls them, to shepherd God's people. You know, the church is so important. So important. The church is Jesus's idea, by the way. I didn't come up with it. Y'all do realize that. No one here came up with it. But Jesus said, I will build my church, my called out people, my congregation, my ecclesia, my assembly, who are the hands and feet, who are the little kingdom outposts of my kingdom in this world. The church is important to God, to Jesus, and honestly, the church is so important to us. And so there's a word here for me, We have Brother John, who's one of the pastors here. But, you know, he says something here when he talks about the young men and the elders. It can be translated just the old guys. Pay attention, be humble, respect, and listen to the old guys. The old men in the church. And I was thinking about that. And You know, a lot of times the Bible is specifically talking only about men when it says men but sometimes it's just using the the masculine to cover everybody think about the older men and the older people respect them walk in humility and in deference to them and I think the temptation is that especially in our culture we really idolize youth and youthfulness and sometimes we just sort of push off The older folks to the side is irrelevant. And in the church, one of the things we're to realize is, though the culture may do that, we are to understand that there is wisdom with the elders. People that have walked before us, and we should respect and listen. That is God's gift to us, not just pastors, but I think the elder experienced people in our church. I'll tell you something about this church. This church... First Baptist Church of Valley Springs is full of old men who are wise. You know, I I was over there, and and I, you know, again, someone busted my bubble recently. It was John. And said I was old. I was one of the old men, you know, even though I don't always feel like it. But, no, he didn't really call me old. He just insinuated. Sorry, John. But I was over there this morning. We had a church-wide breakfast. And I'll tell you who was over there cooking. Sorry all of you guys, old men. <laughs> Brandon, old man. You know, we had to we this church is full of amazing elder men, middle-aged men who love the Lord and love this church and are committed wholeheartedly to it. And for your care and your teaching, and I'll tell you, it, it's inspiring to me what a gift that is. But also we have elder women in this church that serve with that same heart. These people are God's gift to us. And they're people we're to look to and respect and value their opinions and ask of them questions and not just assume that we know everything but, but come under their teaching and their wisdom. It's God's gift to us that the people who have already walked these same paths can share with us how to navigate some of the difficulties of life it's uh, and I just wanted to finish this year and as we're transitioning into the next year just say what a gift it has been in 2021 to be a part of First Baptist Church Valley Springs this is a great church people that truly love and serve the Lord I tell you I, I've seldom seen such sacrificial service a wonderful church thank you for being that church and I tell you many churches struggling and I'm sure that we personally and then as a church we've gone through in the last couple of years with the COVID stuff and all the different things happening in the world going through some difficult things but this church has stood together and stood strong and a large part of that is because of the solid stable wisdom of the older folks in this church who have said, we're staying, we're committed, we're going to see this through. So, hey, listen, let me get back to this and just say this, that we need the church. If you're going to triumph in tribulations, you need the church. Everyone's all about being evangelical and leaving the church and bashing the church and all of that people that are Christians. and And sure, the church has... Flaws and blemishes. We're, we're humans. Every one of us. We're not perfect, but we're God's plan. The church is Christ's plan. And for Christians, when you face hard things, there is nothing like the people of God who come alongside, put their arm around you, send a card, stand with you, remind you of what you need to hear. Speak an encouraging word, and sometimes that encouraging word comes with a kick in the pants. All right? But we need the church. Don't be quick to abandon the church's shepherding. It is one of the primary means or tools that God will use to help carry you through difficult things. So we need the church's shepherding. The next thing that I want you to see that's a tool to help us and moving from tribulation to triumph is the character of humility. Let's pick up there where I left off in verse 5 and into verse 6. So he says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to, all of your, uh, to your elders, and all of you now clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. You know, the church is full of people. It's a community. And as a community where we need one another and we are God's gift to one another, we have to learn to walk in a certain sort of relational vitality. We need the character of humility. If we're going to function well in the church, we have to learn to be humble. 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 What is humility? Well, one easy thing to say is it's it's obviously, it appears to be the opposite of pride, for it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humility is not walking in the pride of the flesh. I've heard it said, this is one of my favorites, and you've probably heard this too. uh, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but what? Thinking of yourself less. It's to say, I need to be aware of other people, not being self-centered and so self-focused that I can't see what's going on in other people's lives. All of you, he says, every one of you, clothe yourself with humility. Humble yourselves. I don't think humility is just a state of mind and heart, by the way, though I think it begins there. I think it's actually actions. To be proud is to do things from pride. It's to act in a certain way. And to be humble, to clothe yourself, is to put on a certain way of operating that's like God. It's like Jesus. It's it's not full of pride. And again, I'm sure many of you have studied about pride and humility. But I just think that we need to quit being so self-centered a lot of the times. That's our natural tendency, is to gravitate back to self-centeredness, and self-focus. And when we do that, we begin to look at others cynically. We look at others as worth less than us or they don't matter as much as us. But to be humble is to say, you know what? Every person matters to God. Every person in this church, we all have different gifts, different backgrounds, different talents, different problems. We're all different but no one more important than the other. All right, so put on the character and the, the clothing of humility. You know, why does God hate pride so much? I don't, I don't know fully, but I think this. I think that when we operate in a prideful way, one of the things we do is we, we cocoon ourselves We insulate ourselves from the grace of God. Other people, service, all kinds of things. It closes us off and then other people cannot input into our lives and we don't put into other people's lives. I think that pride leaves a destructive path, much like the tornadoes that just ripped through states here in our area. Leaves a destructive relational path. That is it's hard to overcome. When we let pride run rampant in our lives. Man. We can't be. We can't receive what we need from the church. And in the church. And we hurt people. Quite frankly. We hurt people. You know there are things that we will do. Operating in pride. That honestly in this life we can never undo. We will say things and do things That will mar relationships, sure, we can forgive, but it just seems like sometimes they're never the same. Pride is absolutely destructive. And so, one of the things that we've got to do to turn tribulations into triumphs is to put on the character of humility. And a lot of times, what that means is we've got something going on in our lives this brokenness, this thing that's wrenching us apart. Maybe it's a broken relationship. And to put on humility would look like this. I need to go to that person and I need to get on my knees and say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. I may need to make restitution for something. I need to humble myself and try to turn this mess into something that God can use. So the character of humility is something. It is a tool that we have to have if we're going to experience victory in this life. Let's move to the next thing the next tool we need, and that is casting anxiety. Look at verses 6 through 7. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Here it is. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, there's a lot of things I could say here. I want to get down to the the meat of it. If you're going to be a fisherman, one of the skills you've got to learn is to cast your line where it needs to be. There is nothing more frustrating than fishing and constantly putting your line and your bait and your hook into a tree or a snag or some mess. it make you lose your religion, right, you fishermen? you got to learn the skill of casting. Almost every sport that I could think of centers around one or more of the people having a skill of casting or hurling some ball or object into the correct place, whether that's the goal or the receiver's hands or to the, you know, the, the little cup if you're golfing, whatever it is, an integral skill is learning to cast or to throw or to shoot or to pitch to the exact right place where the object needs to be. And as Christians, I think we have to learn that same thing, casting Or it can actually be translated hurling our anxieties and burdens on the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. If I haven't already told you this, I know something about anxiety. I've experienced it in my life. It can be crippling. It's very difficult. It seems like once it begins to find its way into your heart, it can be very difficult to get rid of. When you do get rid of it, it can pop back up at the most inopportune times. And one of the things I've learned is once you get rid of anxieties and burdens, they're going to come back. Maybe it's a different one comes back. But we have to learn this skill, this help, and that is learning to cast, to pitch, to put our anxieties and our burdens on the Lord, whatever they may be, because he cares for us. You know, some anxieties and burdens we are not even meant to have. Jesus says there's certain things that you just should not fear. You should not have fear about where your next meal comes from and about your clothes. God, if he so clothes the lilies of the field and clothes the sparrows, will he not also care for you? And so he says, fear not, little ones. God knows your need. God will take care of you. So some anxieties and cares we're not meant to have, but there are others that they're natural. Grief and various things that come on us and they burden us and they weigh us down. And I'll tell you, everything else can be right in the world except right here. And then when it's wrong in our hearts, it seems like everything is wrong. Nothing is right. Nothing is good. Nothing is joyful. We need to learn to let the Lord curate our heart. We have to learn to cast our anxieties and our cares upon the Lord because he wants To care for us. He wants to bear those burdens. That for us are crushing. But for him. There is nothing. And I'll tell you. Let's try to get practical for just a minute. And say what does it actually look like. To cast a care. Or an anxiety. Or a burden on the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes we have these bible phrases. And they become little more than cliches. We know we're supposed to do them. But we don't actually know how to do them. So my question for you is, how do you cast your care upon the Lord? How do you give him the burden of your heart? I think it looks like prayer. But I think it looks like specific prayer. One of the things that I have learned and I try to remember to practice it, but sometimes I don't, like when anxiety comes on me. My mouth gets really dry. My heart starts, I start thinking about all kinds of things. And and there are various uh, things that go through my mind. And I'll tell you, I have some rituals that seem to help me. You'll see me doing these on Sunday morning sometime right over here. I have a little bit of water. Because when I get anxiety, my mouth gets dry. So I sip water. I have cough drops. (laughs) I don't know what it is about rattling around in my teeth. It makes me think about something else. I use ChapStick. So these are my three rituals before I preach on Sunday morning, especially when I'm feeling anxiety. But you know what? Those are pretty superficial, and and while they help me, honestly, if the anxiety and the burden is something deeper, Carmex ain't going to cut it, right? One of the things I've had to learn to figure out is, Lord, what am I fearing right now? Because anxiety is ultimately fear. Lord, what am I... what am I fearing? Or if it feels like a crushing burden, Lord, what, what, what is it that is weighing down my heart? And I need to name it. I need to understand it. I need to come into contact with what lie or what thing has gripped my heart and is squeezing it. And then you know what I do? I, I pray. And I say, Lord, right now, I'll tell you, I'm just going to name one for you that I think is a very common one for me that causes anxiety on Sunday morning sitting in that pew right there. Lord, I care too much about performing and what other people think about me. And it's crippling me. And really, Lord, all that really matters is what you think about me. And sometimes I feel anxiety because I know I have not done what I should spiritually before I come into this place. And so it's great at the last moment, I said, Lord, I feel like maybe maybe I've not been listening to you. Maybe I'm not walking as closely with you as I need to. And right now, Lord, I want to be open to hearing from you. I want to be a vessel that's not worried about what everybody else thinks, but I only want to be a willing vessel to do what you want me to do, to say what you would have me to say. So those are some things that I think as we're learning to cast and hurl our anxieties on the Lord and our burdens, we actually need to name them. We need to name them and give them to him. And I think it's a helpful practice to actually say, Lord, I'm asking you to take this from me. I'm asking you, Lord, to bear this burden for me. That's what I think it looks like. Here it is in my life. But you, you need to figure that out. If you would not have the things of this world, the tribulations, and we all face them, if they would not cripple you and kill you, you better learn what it means and how you cast your cares upon the Lord. This is, I'll tell you, this may be one of the most important Christian practices That is out there. And it's one of the least talked about. We have to learn to do this. How many of you. Just So maybe I know I'm not alone. Even though the Bible says I'm not alone. How many of y'all have been. You've faced anxiety. Or you have really felt. Burdens that are almost crippling personally. Would you just lift your hand up. If you have faced that. All right. So I know this is practical. And important stuff. Man, if we're, if we're going to learn to walk with the Lord in victory, we have to practice this. We have to practice this. Casting bloop, our anxieties and our burdens on the Lord. Let me give you the last one. This is the fourth help for turning tribulations into triumph. And that is courageous faith. And it's found in verses 8 and 9. Here's what he says. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world courageous faith is absolutely essential to victory we folks are in a battle an epic global universal spiritual realm physical realm battle this says we have an adversary he calls him the devil the slanderer who seeks to destroy you and me he wants to devour he wants to cripple. He wants to kill. He wants to take away your standing before the Lord. We have to be aware. And so he says, be sober about this. Think like a soldier. Realize. Man, how many of y'all, if you went out for a little walk or a ride in the woods, how many of you would be really behave far differently if you knew that the, the woods were full of lions and tigers and bears? Oh, my. How many of you would, would act differently? You, you know you would. Man, you'd be looking over your shoulder. You'd hear meow, and you would jump out of your shoes. You know you would be on guard if you believe that there was some sort of stalking lion coming after you. And he just says this, listen, we do have such an enemy, and so you should be sober, be alert. But being sober and alert is not enough. We have to re- realize the tools and the weapons that we have. And he says, here's what you need to do you need to resist the devil. You have to learn to resist him, to do battle with him. And here's how you resist the devil firm in the faith. If you resist the devil firm with faith, he will flee from you. That's what the Bible says. So, again, I would ask this question. How do you resist firm in the faith? What does that actually mean and look like? We'll just do something fun. Anybody have an answer you want to give? How do you resist the devil firm in your faith? Huh? Okay, through prayer. All right. Anybody else? How did Jesus... When he was tempted, it says tempted in the wilderness by the devil. How did Jesus resist firm in his faith against the devil? Okay. So we realize that the devil, what he does is he comes and he brings lies and accusations. He's a slanderer. He slanders God. He brings thoughts and ideas and lies to your mind. These are his fiery darts. And he asks you to believe something twisted or warped or untrue about God or about other people. So he says to you, he says, you know what? God does not actually care about you. God is actually very cruel to make you to endure these things. He says things such as that. And what you have to do is know the truth. And you have to stand in it and believe it. And so what Jesus did, he had committed the scriptures to memory. Not all of the Bible, maybe all the Bible, I don't know. We're not going to be able to commit all of the Bible to memory But we need to be familiar enough with the promises and the truths of God. Such that when Satan fires his lies into our mind. And they can come into your mind in various ways. Through what you read, through what you hear, through another person. Or they can just come as thoughts. And you have to know what to do with that. You need to extinguish that fiery dart by repelling it with the shield of faith. And with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the truth of God. So Satan tells you a lie. You need to be able to counter that lie and say, actually, what Jesus said, it is written. And he would quote a scripture. And he would stand on the promises and truths of God. And it says the devil would leave him. But guess what? The devil comes back. And he brings more lies and untruths. Continually this happens and so he is like a roaring lion seeking to devour us to gobble up our faith to cause us not to be able to stand to destroy us and we have to learn to stand resisting the devil and the lies that he brings into our lives. One of the songs we sang today God you're so good and we sing it over and over. I don't know about you, you know, the first time I see something, it disappears pretty quickly. But in meditating and repeating these truths over and over, just for those few minutes, God, you are good. You're good to me. That's powerful. Because I'll tell you, things going on in my own life have tempted me to say, God, I don't know. This doesn't seem good. As I see your ways played out or certain things in life, it doesn't seem good. But you know what that is? That's a lie from the devil. Has God surely said? Why would God deprive you of? All kinds of lies come to us and just that simple truth was one I needed to sing today. God, you're so good. To resist the devil and that lie that would lead me away from the good and everlasting God. So we need courageous faith. We have to learn to stand on the word of God, meditate it, read it, know it, and wield it like a sword. And he says in verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, God will perfect you or mature you. He will bring you to maturity. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you and he will bring you into glory. And Jesus says, I have overcome the world. We need to understand our faith is like a chain that binds us to Jesus. And when He has overcome the world, as long as we are believing and bound to Him by faith, we have overcome the world because of Him. We can be victorious. Folks, we will face hardship, tribulations, and trials. But God has given us victory. But he does it through very specific means and ways that we have to learn. Tools like these helps. And we have to practice them over and over again. That's why they're called Christian disciplines. They're things that we just have to continue doing if we would have the victory. All right, Would you bow with me today as we close? Father, today in this gathering of First Baptist Church of Valley Springs. Lord, I want to be thankful and I thank you for bringing me here into this fellowship full of men and women, young men and women, boys and girls who are walking this journey together. You have brought us into this spiritual family and I'm thankful for this church and Lord, I pray that we would continue to stand together walking humbly under your care and shepherding and the shepherding of this church through the leaders that you provided. Lord, I pray that this church would grow, that we would finish this year with a joy, understanding that you have helped us in 2021 and that you have great things in store for us. So we thank you for that. We trust in that. Lord, that promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And so we cling to that today. Father, I pray today that you would take away, carry for us the anxieties and burdens that we're feeling. Even as we name them in our hearts, we ask you to take them from us. To help us to experience a joy and a peace that you have promised us. So we cast our cares upon you today. And Lord, we stand by faith as your people, knowing that you have promised to bring us into glory even through and beyond sufferings, just like Jesus. So Lord, add to your number in this church. Bring people into our fellowship that need care and that will help to provide care to others. God, we want to finish this year, 2021, with praise. Praise for your indescribable gift of salvation. The promise of eternal glory through a resurrection beyond death. Lord, to that we cling today. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name.